am here with Nitya, who is the founder of Capsule. Um, Nitya, I'm so excited to have you on the pod. Thank you so much, Chase. Really excited. I cannot wait to talk about embedded wallets, what you're building at Capsule, account abstraction, and, and all of the things. Maybe before we get into that, you can give a little bit of context on you, how you fell down the crypto rabbit hole, and how you ended up um, working on Capsule. Yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, so I, I'd first gotten interested in um, in Bitcoin kind of as a college student um, on a technical level, thought it was really cool. Um, that was back in, in 2014, but never did um, did too much in the space besides thinking it was is interesting. And then I um, worked in fintech for several years at um, at a startup that was doing um, lending and realized, uh, kind of learned a lot about how the financial system worked. Uh, and around that time, like around 2017, started to get really excited about um, about the EVM and um, in understanding. I think there's something about crypto where when you understand how certain real world systems work, um, you kind of can anchor like why it's so important to have open versions of the system that are accessible. Um, and that was what got me really excited about um, about crypto and how I basically entered the one way door into the space and haven't really um, haven't really looked back since. And um, worked at a, a company called Cello. They're, they're building a layer one. Uh, and so I was one of their first uh, engineers and then later led their product team. And uh, in that, uh, just kind of got really excited about um, what crypto could do for building an open, accessible financial system and uh, decided to um, to take the plunge to build Capsule after realizing that self-custody was really, in my opinion, the key problem that was holding back uh, all of the amazing things you can do on chain from really being able to reach the people that um, that can actually make use of um, of these services and of these products. And so uh, that was that was really the journey that led to to crypto and then um, later to Capsule. Yes. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about Capsule and self-custody um, and what it looks like to make self-custody accessible. So maybe to just sort of start head first there, you can give a little bit of context on what it is that you are building at Capsule. Absolutely. So Capsule is building cross-app embedded wallet infrastructure, and that's a bit of a mouthful. But really what um, we're, the way we think about it is um, in crypto, we've had wallets for forever, right? Since the beginning of, of crypto time. Um, and one of the, the things that's great about wallets is that when you have a wallet that has, you know, your assets in it, your ENS name, um, all of the, um, the kind of identifiers and um, value that is important to you, you can take that anywhere you want across, um, across applications that are blockchain aware. Um, but the problem is that, uh, this puts a lot of, of burden on um, on the end user. So one, you need people to go and download wallets and, and get them set up. Uh, two, uh, there's a lot of fear in, in using, um, in, in signing certain types of transactions, a lot of risk of things like scams, phishing, et cetera, and basically just places a lot of, um, a lot of the power user type of responsibility on the really broad group of people that we're hoping will use crypto. And so um, what we're really building are, uh, and then a, a lot of that is where embedded wallets uh, came up, is making it easier for people to create wallets in the context of an application that they're using. So reducing that friction of, of switching back and forth or needing to go and download a, a separate product. Um, what we're doing with Capsule is bringing together the best of both worlds. So that interoperability and portability of being able to 
generate assets or get something in in one place and then bring it with you across the internet um, without um, needing to necessarily go and take all of the the onus on um, on yourself as an end user around things like uh, self custody or needing to um, be be really careful about inspecting all the transactions you're signing, um, removing a lot of that um, to make portable wallets more accessible to uh, to everyday people. Yeah, I think this is this to me is like such a huge part of what's going to need to exist as infrastructure in order for consumer apps to actually succeed. Um, and so I, I guess I, I have an understanding of how like Privy and a few other embedded wallets do these things and, um, you know, how they handle like basically the creation of a private key without going too deep into like the technical pieces of it at a high level. I'm curious how capsule like generates a private key and stores that private key. Um, yeah. I feel like there's this interesting balance between security and accessibility, particularly when we think about these like much more consumer centric wallets, like what you're building with capsule. Absolutely. Yeah. So what we, um, one very foundational belief as we were um, as we were deciding on the infrastructure, um, right when we set out to build um, to build cap, what, what's become Capsule, uh, is that it was very important to us that uh, that people who have wallets that they create within the context of an app um, are our first class citizens of um, our first class on chain citizens, and what that really means is that people should be able to have a certain amount of trust in the fact that they have access to their assets, um, that they aren't sharing their private key um, in environments that are insecure, things like that. So really keeping the standard um, for security and for um, kind of uh, sovereignty uh, as as high as possible, um, while, of course, optimizing for the bar of accessibility that's that's necessary. Um, and so the way that we, um, that the capsule works is we use, um, what's called distributed MPC. Um, and what, what that means is basically the way that a private key is created is through something called a DKG or distributed key generation ceremony. This is a little bit different from systems that will do something like, let's say, create a private key in, in a, a browser or a, a particular environment and then shard them. Um, what instead happens is multiple parties through a multi-round communication protocol um, in a distributed way arrive at a shared secret. And that shared secret is the private key in this case. Um, and what's maybe unique and somewhat nuanced here is that the net result of this is that when you use MPC, the full private key is never in one place. Um, and so even when you're signing transactions, it's not that someone has to send a share to someone else and then you assemble the private key and you sign with it. There's actually, a, again, a multi-round communication protocol um, by which two parties in, in different locations can actually collaborate on creating a shared signature without either party having access or any of the parties involved having access to the full key. Um, and so this is, um, MPC has been used for a long time. Um, it's a, a great technique for things like private computation, even in other industries outside of crypto. Um, but in, in this context, uh, it's, a, it's a great way to, um, to basically provide certain security and privacy guarantees around uh, key material while still having um, the accessibility of being able to initiate transactions um, from, um, from a user's device. Okay, interesting. So it's not actually assembled, you know, in like a in a like client side environment at all, which the private key isn't, which it feels unique. Um, 
I feel like part of this conversation around MPC, you start to get into a conversation around account abstraction. And um, I think it's funny because like the embedded wallet conversation isn't obviously linked to account abstraction for a lot of people, but it feels like the natural evolution of embedded wallets mm. being these like sort of cross-chain um, identities, cross-application identities, um, moving into something that becomes like a more abstracted account feels very natural. And so I would be curious how you see account abstraction in this landscape and how you're thinking about it more broadly. Yeah, that's a great question. So when we think about uh, MPC, as you mentioned, I think uh, especially in the last uh, several months, I think there's been the, the kind of conversation and discourse around things has definitely shifted a little bit where I think as early as the beginning of this year, there was almost this discussion of like MPC um, on one side and account abstraction on the other side and they're, them being, you know, mortal enemies um, and you had to pick one or the other. And if you made the wrong choice, um, you'd, you'd messed everything up. And I think that was honestly a very stressful time for, for app developers um, because there was all this pressure to make the right choice. I think the way that um, things have, have evolved is there is, I would say, a very strong sense of, of symbiosis and, um, and more of a, um, a positive uh, feedback loop and, and relationship between the two technologies. Um, the way I think about the two is that um, account abstraction is a, a really great way to make logic explicit on chain. Um, and there's all the benefits of that and then all the drawbacks of that. Um, and similarly, MPC is a, a great way to reason about um, sharing some secret or generating some shared secret or some shared um, signature in an off-chain mechanism. And similarly, all of the, the good and bad that comes with that. Um, with, uh, with Capsule specifically, um, the way that we think about our, our unique value add in this space is being able to reduce the fragmentation that comes with um, both on and off chain um, wallet management. So both one reducing the, the fragmentation of state that comes with having, let's say account abstraction wallets on multiple different chains that a user is transacting um, on or might have a presence across. Um, and then two, reducing the fragmentation that comes with having lots of, um, whether they're MPC or Shamir secret sharing or um, or just EOA private key managed wallets, um, the fragmentation that comes with having lots of different wallets um, that, that a user needs to manage themselves. And so the way we think about Capsule is one interoperable signer that you can use across different chains, um, across different um, contexts, uh, and across different apps. Um, and so that's really where we feel like we fit in within the landscape. But um, certainly uh, we, we've taken the approach of um, making it really easy to connect capsule signers to all of the different account abstraction wallets uh, that you're using. Um, and similarly, to be able to use these capsule wallets across different apps as well. I think this like distinction between a wallet and a signer is interesting. Um, maybe we can get into a little bit of that. Like, what does it mean for Capsule to be a signer versus how I personally, at least traditionally, think of things, which is just like the wallet does all the things and I don't really understand what the difference is between the functionality. It just sort of is all wrapped into one. This is such a great question. And I, I hope at some point we have some nice glossary of, of what all these terms mean. Because I also think they're used in very interchangeable ways. Um, but when when I'm specifically talking about um, like a signer versus a, a wallet, like in the capsule case, um, 
the the capsule uh, signer is also an EOA wallet um, in the sense that uh, the signature that's produced um, from a capsule wallet um, from the chain's perspective is is just like the signature that you get when you're signing a transaction with with a private key. Um, where the where this notion of a wallet becoming a signer shows up is um, when we're looking at smart contract accounts, um, whether they're account abstraction or um, or even something like a multi-sig, where um, instead of now the the wallet that's signing the transaction being the place where the assets are held, um, the assets might be held in a, in a multi-sig or in a smart contract account or something of that sort, where now the wallet isn't necessarily the place that the assets are, are starting from and going to, but rather they're... Um, the, rather, the signer is is authorizing some movement of funds with that's held within some, some on-chain account. Totally. Okay, that makes a ton of sense. Um, and I feel like this takes us really naturally into this article that Capsule published a while ago, but that caught my eye when it was published and I think is still something that feels important to talk about and kind of under-discussed, which is this idea around like transactions being this atomic unit of user behavior. So like, Going back to this idea that you can sort of separate the signer from where assets actually live, um, I think there's an interesting sort of distinction here to be made more broadly, which is this idea that like transactions on chain are this um, massive way that or, or the way that people interact on chain and, and do things on chain. And yet they kind of feel under discussed as this like atomic unit of of behavior. And so maybe you can give a little bit of context on like how you think about what transactions um, really like mean in the context of being on chain. And we can talk a little bit about programmable transactions and all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm so happy you asked this question. Um, with this, this almost, there's a, a little bit of a almost philosophical tangent of I can go on around this where when we think about um, about Web2 and how we kind of commit any sort of state change or we reflect any any change in one place or another, um, what we do, let's say I go on, on Twitter or, or wherever and I, I push a button and then something gets published. Um, that is, the, the Web3 equivalent of that is a transaction. Um, like that's the way that we reflect any sort of update of state, any sort of in, intention to do anything. It's, it's a transaction. And I think what we've, um, what I see as the fundamental difference between, um, Web2 and Web3 in terms of an, an interaction perspective is that in, in Web3 based systems, um, generating a transaction is something that is is special in the sense that it isn't something that you just trust the application to execute for you in the background. Um, and there's good and bad to that, of course. Like the good is, of course, that we've removed a lot of these trust assumptions, um, that users are in full control of what's happening. It's on their terms. But of course, the downside is that we're still inspecting JSON um, before we we do any action um, and that we're still switching back and forth between products that we still have like siloed state. Um, and so I think a lot of the, um, a lot of this comes back down to how can we make this most basic unit of interacting on a blockchain um, as simple and intuitive as possible, because there's no reason that it should be um, that it should be inherently worse. Um, and I think it's just that the assumptions around it are all very different where um, once you start to examine, okay, what are the trust assumptions I'm making in um, 
in a wallet that's that's embedded within an application versus um, let's say I'm using a standalone wallet that's using um, like an RPC endpoint. Like who am I trusting at every step in that? Um, and so, yeah, that's that's really why we think how we think about it. And we, we think about our job as basically to make that that role of, of creating a transaction and putting it where it's supposed to go as simple as possible. Yeah, I mean, I guess I hadn't really even considered what the trust assumptions for um, using a wallet that is is embedded within an application. It's funny because like my brain currently works mostly around the mental model of like bring your own wallet. And I do kind of think that there are so many security um like nuances and trust assumptions there that we just don't really have to think about because we as users own that wallet. And like, yes, signing transactions that are malicious and and phishing and all these things are still big issues, but it does create this like very clear distinction. Whereas when you start to move into embedded wallet territory, that does kind of, that does introduce new um, concerns around like what it looks like to trust the application that you are using. Um, I'm curious how you think about navigating that and, and what it looks like to, you know, keep users safe while also making it, you know, closer to like a login with Google type of experience. Absolutely. Yeah. The way that, the way that I, I think about it personally is that, um, because of the way the space is involved, uh, has evolved, there are certain trust assumptions that we take for granted. For example, we don't all run our own Ethereum um, nodes and and send transactions there. We we use RPC endpoints. Um, we use um, we trust the wallet software that we use um, to accurately represent uh, an outgoing transaction. Um, there's already all these trust assumptions that exist. I think the real power of crypto is that you can verify those trust assumptions and that they're explicit. Um, and so the way that we think about that is in um, even because what we allow is for these embedded wallets to then be cross app, which even introduces additional additional parties in um, in this system of trust um, where we view our role as being a clear and transparent communicator of those trust assumptions um, and is also being a. Uh, being accountable to those trust assumptions being verifiable on chain. Um, and so that's really how I, I think about our, our role in this system, um, as, as capsule is being, um, being able to accurately portray the information, um, around, let's say what an application is doing with the user's embedded wallet, what an application might like to do, um, and, and clearly communicating that and then being accountable to that being verifiable on chain. Interesting. Okay. That makes a ton of sense. Um, I guess the other interesting thing where I think you, you have this like unique, um, point of view and maybe new dynamic added in is also, um, this idea. And I loved this from the, the programmable transaction sort of piece. Um, so I will just read it directly, but it's basically, it was wallets are still the only products that can write data to the chain, but because their responsibilities scale with the complexity of the space, they're not flexible enough to write in intuitive and expressive ways. And so beyond the sort of security concern and perspective, there's also this element of like, what is possible and how expressive can these, um, can these wallets become? And so I'm curious for you at like a very high level what do you think the like five to 10 year vision is for how wallets um, should like evolve basically to become these more expressive and intuitive tools? 
Yeah. Oh man. I'm one. I'm honored that you read that um, that that blog post. Um, it's um, like the way I, I think about it with 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 wallets is that imagine if we had one product um, in in our, our everyday lives and we needed to have that physical product with us to do any sort of action in any database and. Um, and it's not even a physical product. It's like a, it's, it's a key. And if you lose it, you're, you're a goner. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need that key to send an email or to send, um, send something else. Like this is only possible if this works across different apps and different contexts. Um, whereas the challenge with having all of that sit within one single application is, now imagine even if I'm I'm that app builder that now needs to make it possible to send an email and also to send a tweet and also to um, do my taxes like all of this um, that that explosion of complexity uh, it, it's there are different roles um, so the way that that I think about it is that a wallet is just a a power to write data to the chain um, and what we view ourselves as doing and this is. Um, maybe why I'm a bit biased, but the the place that I think we need to go as a space is to where this ability to write data to the chain on my behalf is something that I should be able to give any application, revoke at any time for any application, modify. Um, application should be able to request that from me. I should be able to accept or reject it or change the, the guidelines around it. Um, but ultimately, um, what crypto does is puts users at the center and what we need to be able to do is to make it easier for people to move their information around, move their information and bring it with them across the different places that they go. Um, and I think this is what it'll really take to make it as simple as pushing a button um, to, to send an email and, and pushing that button to, um, to have some state show up on chain. Um, and, and so the way I, I view it is almost the the future of, of wallet applications, I think there will always be a place for, for wallet apps. And the reason for that is like, it's the same reason I, I have a reason for a bank account and a reason to, to go to my bank account and, um, maybe be able to make transfers, be able to see what I have, be able to, to change certain actions. Um, but I think what we'll start to see is a much more internet native behavior of going to a place to take an action and then being able to, take that action uninterrupted. Yeah, um, I think this idea of, you know, being able to um, grant access to for through different apps to have different access to my account is really interesting. And I think some of this kind of gets into like the intent-based stuff that's been happening as well. Um, you know, obviously like things like Unibot have been really interesting experiments in giving total access. Um, and so I'm curious how you think about some of the intent-based architectures. I mean, I guess maybe at a high level for people who are not familiar, intent-based architectures are um, off-chain uh, intentions of users, um, often sort of like articulating an outcome um, that you want. For example, you want to trade, you know, ETH for USDC at a certain price and that's stored off-chain until um, that's able to be executed on chain. But I think a lot of this is very like related to this idea of access. And so I'm curious how how you see that fitting in here. Yeah, it's it's such a good question. Um, we had so we had thought a lot about um, the model for for what we're building as as very similar to a, a single sign-on type of system. And in a system like that, you need a way to to grant permissions and to um, 
to basically have have some accountability around what parties are able to do. I think intents are a really beautiful way of codifying that accountability um, where, and I, I think the different systems that are evolving, um, many of them are, are very new where some are, as you mentioned, more, um, exercises in full access. Um, others are, um, will involve almost things like, like RFQ type of systems, um, in, in the more financial context. Um, RFQ stands for request for quote, um, where, uh, someone might say, I'd like to swap X asset for Y at price higher than Z. Um, and then uh, kind of trust the um, trust the system um, to then find the best uh, the best satisfaction uh, the like best satisfaction for that constraint. Um, but I think it's we're all talking about the same thing in in my view, which is that um, in order for crypto based systems to evolve beyond where they're at today, and to be very clear, that's us sitting at our computers pushing buttons every time we need some state change to happen. Um, in order for us to evolve beyond this very primitive interaction, we do need to start to explore what the different trust assumptions are that we're making at every stage in the process and explore what it would look like to make modifications to them. Let's say giving one party the um, the ability to control the, the path to do a swap from one chain to another, for example, um, or to uh, allow maybe in the future, allow a party to decide which L2 to publish some um, some information to. Uh, but I think as we start to relax these constraints, we start to make it a lot easier for um, people to think about um, blockchains as more of a um, as more of a tool as opposed to the the really big in your face um, kind of thing that we need to that we have to interact with in such explicit ways to get things done. Totally. Um, yeah, it, it's so interesting because, you know, of course, I think when people are updating or changing things in Web 2, we certainly like acknowledge that something is in action. But because the onus is not placed on the end user to verify the thing, there's just so much less responsibility around it. Similarly to, you know, the difference between liking a tweet and having to sign on a, a Web3 social network um, in order to like something, which I'm not sure. I don't think that's the state of affairs on like Warpcast or anything like that. But in any case, um, it, it is interesting because this updating of the chain is just uh, it, a lot more of a lift for end users until, to your point, we're willing to revisit some of our trust assumptions and maybe reorient and restructure some of these like traditional Web3 flows for user signatures and transactions. You're exactly right. I think actually the the Web3 social networks are a really great example of this, where um, if you're using a Web3 social network, either, and, and I think this is um, maybe a rough approximation of how many of them work today, but we either need to have a separate key or a separate wallet um, that is embedded within that um, that application, um, so that you don't have to context switch to sign transactions, um, or you have to bring your wallet with you and then back and forth uh, switch transactions or, or switch um, between apps uh, to to sign to really record. Um, any any state management. I think there's a lot of of really great work being done to to smooth the UX there. But I think the um, that Web three social is actually a really great um, kind of indicator of these trade offs. Because I think nowhere is it more present than when you're as, as you mentioned when you're liking a, a comment or liking a post. Um, 
that this different interaction paradigm, like that's, that's where I think it all, it's, it's the most clear. Totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, something that's interesting more broadly is, of course, when you're thinking about capsule, you're thinking about building better consumer experiences. I think um, I always respected the work that Cello did in the ecosystem around um, really making these things usable for people globally. And so I'm curious from your perspective, as you look more broadly at the ecosystem, as you think about what it means to bring consumers into the space and on chain, um, where do you see the, the the ecosystem evolving? Like, what do you think is most exciting? Who do you think is challenging some of the sort of status quo around things on chain? I'm curious how you're thinking about that. What a great question. Um, one one thing I've been really enjoying about the last six months is I've I've personally had this feeling I, I don't know if if you would agree that what's what's old is new again, um, and uh, I, I've seen this in the context of um, more stable coin use cases being exciting, um, more uh, things around uh, even like lending and like peer to peer use cases, um, even um, stuff around uh, and, and even just like a lot of fun um, fun like pure social. Um, consumer experiments, where I think a lot of that is, in some ways, uh, especially on the um, on the more stablecoin type of use cases, um, a lot of the the stuff that we've always thought blockchains would be really well suited for are now a little bit easier to bring to people, and I think that's because of um, both innovations in um, things like fiat connectivity and rails, as well as, of course, um, like cross app. Uh, embedded wallets. And so um, for me, what I'm excited to see is um, what that next iteration of um, of like certain types of use cases looks like. Um, and um, I'm also really excited about um, kind of us getting to a point where, um, I don't know if you feel this way, but I think we talk about crypto a lot as something that we have to bring up to the same level as, as Web2. And and personally, that's always um, that's always challenged me a little bit because if at the end of the day we just make a system that's exactly as good as Web two, I, I don't think we've really succeeded. Um, and so, what I am really excited for is, and and hopefully this this coming year and, and beyond is is when we start to see this happen, is for us taking advantage of the unique benefits of blockchains. And and for me, one of the biggest ones um, is is this interoperability and composability um, and and being able to do something like, let's say, um, have that easy experience of of having a subscription to um, to a magazine that I really like. But also maybe having um, some automation around um, having that subscription sit in in a, a staking pool until when I need it, um, or to have different automations that make it possible for people to um, to really kind of put their um, put their assets to work, um, but then also to uh, kind of bring what they want where they want. Um, and so I think those are the types of use cases I'm, I'm extremely excited for in the in the next kind of six twelve months. Totally agree on the interop stuff. I think um, I've been thinking a lot around like what makes crypto unique from other things. And I think there are a couple of key things. One of them is liquidity. And then I think the other one is interoperability. Um, to your point, like, you know, today most systems are not built to talk to each other. And so that feels really exciting. I think the the what's old is becoming new again is fascinating to me because I just saw, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter. It, it's kind of going a little bit viral, but it was this quote um, from, I, I don't know who 
it was written by, but it was about um, a conversation with Bill Gates where in, in Microsoft sort of like uh, really, really strong sort of nineties, the web is, is becoming a big thing era. And um, basically what they were saying is that all of these new internet ideas were coming up and Microsoft was kind of the incumbent at the time. And so this, whoever wrote this was having a conversation with Bill Gates and kept bringing up these like new and interesting things that were going on in the internet that people were innovating on. And Bill Gates kept tying it back to like Microsoft products. And the author's point was basically like, Bill was seeing the internet through this like very specific lens that was already his um, point of reference and all of, and, and it sort of in a way blinded him from seeing what was net new. And sometimes I think in crypto, um, people have been in the space for a while and have seen experiments play out, um, often see newer experiments or things that people are doing now and go, oh, that's just like color coins or it's just like this or it's just like that. And um, while it is often true, so many factors changed from the first time we experimented with these things until now. And so um, I think oftentimes people who've been in space for a long time actually like write off certain things because they say, oh, I've already seen that. It doesn't work. Um, when actually there, there are sort of a lot of factors that have now come to play, which totally changed the potential success of something. And so I really like that call out around like there are a lot of things that weren't possible then that are now possible. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's what you said where and there are, I think, so many extensions to that where they talk. There's a lot of um, I think there's, there's a lot of theorizing around um why, uh, like innovators dilemma, uh, type of stuff. And, um, it being harder to, um, to see new things when you've been an incumbent and, and gone through a lot of the challenges yourself. But I think, I think it's exactly what you said, where so much is different this time around, um, where I, and this has happened every bear market where we, we kind of, uh, spend several years as, as a space, um, doing the deep work um, that is required to make more foundational improvements. And so, yeah, personally, I'm just so excited to see um, what what happens um, as a result of all of that. Totally. Um, and I think a lot of the beauty of, you know, the the bear market is that people experiment with things and try new things. And so I'm, I've been very excited to see a lot of different, um, yeah, ideas and, and things that people have been playing around with. Um, well, this has been such a lovely conversation. Where can people learn more about you and Capsule and all of the things? Oh, of course. L likewise, it's been so much fun. Uh, so I guess to learn more about Capsule, um, our website is usecapsule.com. And then across socials, we're just at usecapsule. And then um, for me personally, uh, my, my Twitter is at underscore N-I-T-Y-A-S. So it's just an underscore and then my first name, first initial of last name. Um, and yeah, if anyone is excited about um, about wallet portability, wallet infra, um, just looking to jam, um, I'm, I'm always happy to chat. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. This is so lovely. Likewise, thank you for having me.